Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghost of Harrenhal. My name's Simon. And I'm Kelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 96 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of The Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 22 of A Clash of Kings. That's Catelyn 2. And as always, we're going to chat about the chapter. We're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully, we're going to provide you with some entertainment along the way. We will summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some reader mail. Be sure to check out the show notes. They've got some additional information that will help you in particular if you're not reading along with us. How are you, McKelly? I'm okay. I'm okay. How about you? I'm good, I think. Nothing to complain about. That's good. I saw a... uh... Not I saw, because it was on the radio. So I didn't see anything. I heard a, an interesting question asked on the radio this morning, and I thought Do I'd tell. run it by you to see uh, what you think. So the question was, if you could go back in time to your 18-year-old self and only say three words, what three words would that be? I could tell you mine while you think about it. Well, go on then. All right. Well, so... I would, depends on how you define a word. <laughs> now, now I'm talking like we're playing. Uh, what's that? Uh, what's the game? Code names. What What is a word? What exactly is a single word? <laughs> uh, but I, I thought I, I'd heard this. I actually, I think I saw it on a tweet months ago. Uh, but I heard it again this morning, and I thought I'd run it by you. I think I would go with something like Bitcoin. 2010 but yes but yes. if i if i can make 2010 one word like 2010 one word mm-hmm. then i would say bitcoin 2010 2020 or 2021 you know something like oh because you need to know when to sell it too yes because yeah. because <laughs> i buy it for a penny a piece i, I buy five thousand dollars for a penny a piece it gets to ten dollars i'm like woohoo i'm selling out mm-hmm. so I- I, I have to say, my thoughts also went to the same thing. I thought about <laughs> Leicester champions. Oh yeah, twenty sixteen or something like that, because that was they were five thousand to one. I think. Yes, so that, a... that would be good odds too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd have to wait till I was like forty six to place the bet, but you know, right? But actually, honestly, though, I would just say. Keep on going, because <laughs> I, I have led a charmed life and I have no complaints. <laughs> yes, that's true. That you, you know, you advise too much, you might mess things up. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's the whole Macbeth thing. Right. Would Macbeth have murdered his king had he not been told he was going to become king? Yes, that is the I thing. tell my 18-year-old self to bet on Leicester. It might break them. They might not win the <laughs> Premier League. Something it's the butterfly effect. Yeah, butterfly effect leads to them. Yeah, yeah. You could do the same thing with the uh, Bitcoin, I guess. Like if, if I invested $5,000 in Bitcoin in a penny apiece, it might have thrown the whole thing out of whack, you know? So Absolutely. Absolutely. But if it didn't, I would just have to wait about 10 years, and then I could cash in my riches. Yeah. So 
I guess that's what I'd tell myself. Well, we have a super long chapter we today, do. don't we? Yeah. So we should really crack on. Plus, we're, we're not very interesting. No, no, no. We do this mainly for ourselves, make ourselves yeah. laugh, which we do plenty before and after we start recording. So it's really That's not necessary true. to do it right now. <laughs> that is true. All right, let's get down to business. How did we leave Cat? It has been a while since we've seen Cat. You notice we're on like Tyrion 5, but this is only Cat 2. Right. So yeah. She's, she been has a long been. Uh, yeah. We last saw her in her family home of Riveron. She was debating the wisdom of sending Theon to Pike to recruit Balon Greyjoy, his father, to Rob's side. Since then, her concerns appear to have been vindicated on that score. Right. Balon was not very receptive. She was approving the peace terms to be sent south with Cleos Frey, but not expecting them to be successful. She was willing to trade Jamie for the girls, something Rob definitely ruled out. Uh, she was concerned that Rob might do something rash out of frustration at the apparent impasse of the war, and she was hatching a plan with her uncle Brynden to form an alliance with Renly Baratheon. McKelly, why don't we give him the summary? Okay. Kat awakes from a dream of her family reunited to stiff bones in a sparse tent. She and crew are headed south to discuss an alliance with Renly Baratheon. King Renly Baratheon, that is. She's ready for a good cry, but girds her loins and dresses her damaged hand more stiff than usual. Outside, she declined Sir Wendell Manderley's offer of quail for breakfast, preferring porridge, nettle tea, and an increased speed of the meal. She thinks back on how Rob deftly maneuvered her into accepting this mission, while she felt that her place was with her father in his dying days, with her son Rob to offer her counsel, or back home in Winterfell with her other sons. Rob suggested sending the Great John. She immediately accepted the charge, knowing that the Great John would be a terrible choice for a diplomatic mission. <laughs> sure would. She smiles wanly at the memory. She now fears that Rob might march into battle, which she thinks is Tywin's hope. But Rob has layers of schemes going that she doesn't know about. She feels that fate is driving her south, but she yearns to go north. She wrote to Brandon Rickon before she left, but her heart's heavy. Sir Wendell predicts they'll meet the Upper Mander River this day, close to where it crosses the Rose Row between King's Landing and Highgarden at a place called Bitterbridge. She's first on her horse. She wants this done quickly, although she's not sure what she'll say to Renly. His claim is so weak, and she hasn't seen him since he was a child. Not exactly old friends. Renly's outriders spot them early, and a force is sent out to meet them. The welcoming committee is headed by Sir Colin of Greenpools, Every conversation is peppered, pretty much from this point forward, with diplomatic jousting. Cat's yeah. an envoy from the king in the north to see the king in the south. Oh, no, you didn't. He's the <laughs> crowned and anointed king of all the seven kingdoms. And that happens a few more times. Sir Colin escorts them to Renly. They reach the outer fringes while still an hour from the river. Renly's host is bigger than Cat imagined. There's lots of listing of banners, but basically it's everyone, or at least almost everyone, from south of the Riverlands. As they get near the center, they hear cheering. A huge area has been cleared for a melee. Hundreds are in attendance. This grand melee is coming to an end by the time Cat gets there, and only a handful are left standing. Handful of contestants, that is. It comes down to the final two, Sir Loras Tyrell and a big fella in blue armor. It's close but the unknown wins in the end to the disappointment of king and crowd. Cat asks Sir Colin who the man is and why don't the people seem to like him? Because he's not a man. Her name is, depending on whether you're Roy Detrice or the rest of the world, Brienne of Tarth, 
According to Renly, she's everything her father promised that she was. King Renly offers her anything within his power to grant as a prize for her victory. She requests membership in his King's Guard, known as the Rainbow Guard for their rainbow capes and rainbow spectrum armour. The King grants her this request. Cat feels both shock and pity at the sight of the tall, powerful woman, wondering if there's anything more unfortunate in the world than an ugly woman. Cat's ruminations on Brienne are cut short when Sir Colin announces her to King Renly. After the initial surprise, Renly expresses his condolences and promises Cersei's head will be sent to her when he takes King's Landing. There's more Lord versus Grace debate regarding Renly and Rob, but it's quickly put aside. Renly offers Cat his pavilion as he's using the castle as his home while they're here. After a quick tour around Renly's absurdly opulent pavilion, Cat joins the king and the other highborn on the dais of a spirited feast. The boasting of the untested young men make her about as sick as the overabundance of rich food does. Cat and Brienne begin to debate the effects of winter on nights of summer when Renly interrupts and asks Cat to walk with him. After questioning the whereabouts of Sir Barristan Selmy, she doesn't know, he takes her to the highest tower of the castle and shows her the full extent of his host. Campfires covered the earth like stars in a night sky. Renly explains it's not his complete host. He names several more smaller hosts that make up his full powers, including his brother Stannis, who commands the fleet at Dragonstone. Cat takes the opportunity to point out that Renly seems to have forgotten that Stannis is his older brother and therefore has the only claim to the throne. Renly counters that his enormous following is all the claim he needs. He offers that Rob can keep his lands and titles, including that of King, as long as he bends the knee to Renly as his overlord. Before the talks can progress any further, a man rides up on horseback, shouting for the King. It seems Storm's end is besieged, not by the Lannisters, but by his brother Stannis. Uh-oh. Wow, this chapter has so much going on. It's <laughs> it's actually quite a fun chapter. I was I was kind of excited when I, I realized what chapter we were uh, reading this week. It only takes a couple of brand chapters to really make you long for a bit of uh, political intrigue. <laughs> yes, or anything. <laughs> yeah, paint drying. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. It is. It's a, it's a hefty chapter for sure. And um, I don't know, it's been a long time since we've done outtakes, but our summary of that chapter was an absolute debacle. It was. <laughs> it's, it's, we've almost used up our whole time just to get through that summary. <laughs> We're going into overtime, people. <laughs> Due to the magic of editing, our listeners will be spared all of our flubs and mistakes uh, and retakes. <laughs> um, so... Straight on the heels of Bran dreaming about uh, the the Reed siblings and the direwolves and falling again, this chapter launches into a cat dream. She's dreaming about seeing all of her family again. Right. And uh, the, dream, the dream is painfully sweet, family all around her. And waking up from that to the hard reality is uh, not easy. But she's she's not a northerner by birth, but by, by marriage. And so she grits her teeth and gets on with life. Yep. You know, when I read this, it made me think back to when Ned and the kids found the the mom direwolf that was the mother of their current direwolf pups uh, with the stag's antler stuck in her neck. Ever since King Robert rode north, the family as a unit has been fairly well decimated. Yes, yes. Um, Sorry, I paused for a second because I thought you meant King Rob Stark, but you meant King Robert Baratheon. Yes. 
Yes. Did I say Rob, I not saying... Robert? No, you said Robert, but oh, because okay. you were talking about the Starks, I just thought you because his his name is Robert, I think, isn't it? I, I mean, yeah, I, think... I assume his full name is Robert. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Likely. So, um, and then I was going to say wrong, incorrect, sir. He marched <laughs> south, but you were right. It was uh, he did march north. Yeah, um, I mean, if you think about since he rode uh, to Winterfell, since King Robert rode to Winterfell, Ned's dead, Bran's become a paraplegic. Sansa's hostage, beaten, mentally tortured on the regular. Arya's lost and in constant peril. And Rickard, oh, Rickard, and Rickon is literally being raised by wolves. Uh huh. So, and and to be honest, not very conscientious wolves. No, they're I mean, not. The, they're doing a the, terrible the job. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think Summer could bring him to heel, but Shaggy Dog's a mess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then of course. Uh, Cat herself. I mean, she also she's been in danger and hard living for six months now since right. all that happened. Not to mention the and, terrible cuts on her hands, and scarring. Right. I guess right. John has been doing his thing at the wall, but he's not exactly had an easy go of it either. No, yes, he he's following through on a plan, but it's not a very nice plan, you know, and it right. certainly adds to the uh, scattering of the family. Yes. So she's she's being accompanied by a fairly sizable entourage. Um, there's a couple, there's, I think there's about 20 household guards, two of whom are named, uh, Shad and Hal Mullen. I assume they're all named, but, but the two are named to us. Right. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that guy's just called that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, so Wendell... The, the funny thing about Hal Molin is that once again, he states the obvious. Uh, he He's called out for stating the obvious. Back in The Whispering Wood, it was mentioned that he has a penchant for stating the obvious. And here again, when they realize it's a tourney, he says aloud, it's a tourney. And then he has a tendency to do this. <laughs> That's good. So. I, I'd forgotten that. So thanks for that reminder. So, um, so Wendell Manderley, who we mentioned, he's the second son of Wyman Manderley, who's currently in Winterfell with Bran. Right. Uh, he danced with uh, uh, Beth Cassell. Beth Cassell, yeah, yeah. Yes. The uh, older uh, uh, the older one, uh, Willis, is in Harrenhal, a captive. prisoner of yes. Tywin Lannister. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yes. So um, Wendell, like his father, is pretty big boned. And that's one of the reasons he was asking for the extra quail to just season his porridge and uh, nettle tea. Yeah, Yeah. he seemed pretty disappointed when Kat said, nope, we're just going to have porridge and nettle tea. (laughs) Um, So Perwin Frey, it's it's great that the Freys are just on both sides of this battle. I mean, like, whenever you hear a Frey name, you're like, I don't know which side of the battle. Right, you can't possibly. Could be either. Yeah. so Perwin, as you'll remember, is the 15th son of, of Walder. <laughs> uh, 
not particularly prestigious to send the 15th son to visit with the king, but there are just so many phrases, and frankly, so many kings. Right, yeah. There's almost <laughs> as many kings as there are phrases, so, you know, right. there's only so many to go around. <laughs> um, Lucas Blackwood, second son of Titus Blackwood, uh, who are, the Blackwoods are a major house of the Riverlands. Uh, Robin Flint, second son of Laessa Flint of Widow's Watch in the north, who got a mention in the recent brand chapters. I think she's pregnant, and so she couldn't travel. Or actually, there was disease in Widow's Watch, and that's both. why she didn't think want it was to travel. Both. both those things, yeah. 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 Uh, so the party is about 26 in total, which they reckon is large enough to deter casual intervention from warring parties, but not so large as to draw attention. I question that. I think 26 would draw my attention. I, yeah. I think about 12 is probably the optimum number to, let's not mess with them, but they're not worth coming out of our castle to bother. Uh-huh. I can see and that. 26 is a bit too many. Yeah, I follow you. So, actually, what I was going to talk about now, if you don't mind, is just geographically, I wondered how close Cat came to uh, Aria. Aria. Yeah. Because they have, they have passed each other. But how close did they come? It definitely seems like that we, we haven't heard about Kat's journey, but she definitely did not come down the King's Road. That would have been very treacherous. Cause that <laughs> yes, it would have, yeah. Basically, between, right through the middle of uh, Tywin's forces. Um, she, she seems to have, like Arya, come down the west side of the God's Eye. Uh, so right. possibly fairly close at some point. Um I have seen some speculative route maps of her journey, and they have the her considerably further west. Like, not close to the god's eye at all so it's possible that, that was what happened um yeah. it does mention in the story that they that she crossed the black water and if you cross the black water then there's only so far you can go west because it springs up quite far east compared to some of the other rivers yes so she right. can't have been too far west yeah she mentions seeing smoke in the eastern sky and that's probably a lot of the burning around the the god's eye which is right where Arya is, so it's possible she was at least in visible range of the smoke of uh, that burning. Yeah. We don't know how far east or how far west, rather, the burning extends, but we do know there's a lot of burning where where Arya was. And I figure they could only have gone about as far west as Stony Sept, because that's where the, the headwaters of the Blackwater are. So right, exactly. That's yeah, about yeah. as far as they could have gone, because it specifically yeah. mentions them crossing the Blackwater. So, yeah. She, of course, couldn't be completely sure where she would find Renly. I mean, she, she, I mean, intel, everyone's intelligence says they're heading down the road rows from High Garden towards King's Landing. Right. Uh, but that's a long road, and you could miss him by a couple of hundred miles quite easily <laughs> on that road. Good news is, you, with the size of their host and the size of Renly's host, you could just ride up and down the Rose Road till you find it. Yeah. Right, and and actually, given the size of it now, that well, now she knows the size of it. If you arrive somewhere and it doesn't look like a hundred thousand people just walked through, <laughs> they haven't arrived yet. Right. <laughs> just sit there and wait for them. They'll be, yeah. be there eventually. <laughs> it's not like you'd hit the road and go, "Which way should I turn?" Right. Like, either there's the detritus of a hundred thousand people, and then you head east, or there yes. isn't, and you head west. I like that plan. I think it makes yeah. sense. So. Cat thinks back to how Rob sort of outsmarted her in getting her to agree to go on this mission. Um, he threatens to send the great John Umber in her stead to treat with... <laughs> the, 
It's not that smart because it's practically a joke. <laughs> it is. I mean, <laughs> she should have just looked at him sideways and be like, yeah. "Come on now, don't be silly." <laughs> I mean, if she called his bluff, he would be like, "Okay, well, let me try something else then. Let me try another tack. Right. Let me order you to go." Because he definitely wasn't going to do that. That would have been absolutely crazy. Although I think Umber would have enjoyed jumping into the middle of that melee. Oh yeah, probably. He was probably. like, oh, "I'm in, I'm yeah. in. Tag me in." But I do. I do think, actually, though, if you'd sent him, it would have been you would have guaranteed an alliance. But unfortunately, between Renly and Cersei, <laughs> right. it, he, would he would have, have driven the brothers him. back together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking about better options than Cat, and there's there's not a great deal of options at the moment. I mean, anyone would have been better than the great John Umber, but you know, he's not got a lot of like he mentioned. He he explains why Kat says, I don't want to do this. And he says, I don't have any choice. He he mentions that, you know, her father, Hoster, is too sick. Her brother, Edmure, he needs there to hold River Run. He mentions that Brynden, her uncle Brynden, he needs because he's his eyes and ears. He's basically his, his uh, spy out in the world, out in the Riverlands. And so there's, there's really no one left but her. And... I thought of possibly... Uh, now, I know, of course, no one's going to have the impact that Catelyn Stark would have because she's the wife of the former Hand of the King and the mother of the current <laughs> King in the North. But I thought maybe Galbert Glover, he's hes considered tactful and loyal. Now, of course, we don't necessarily um, agree with a lot of the decisions being made back at uh, Deepwood Mott without his presence, but... Um, you know, I think I think he might have been one option they could have considered. And, yeah. And, you know, if, if your ma, if if his mother is his only reliable envoy, then he's in a bit of a tough situation here. Yeah, I will say actually, as you went through that list, I did think that the right one. I mean, okay, there's nothing wrong with sending Cat, apart from the fact she doesn't want to go, and you're making her miserable by sending her. Right. I think Edmure is a very interesting choice because. He's obviously as prestigious as Cat in many ways because he's the heir to River Run. Right. He's and he's a few short breaths away from being away the Lord from of being River Run. Lord of River Run, exactly. Yeah. So he's he's almost as prestigious as Cat. And it would get him out of uh, Rob's hair and allow uh-huh. Rob to make better decisions around the Riverlands. Sure. And Cat wants to stay in River Run with her dying father. Edmure's been in River Run uh, for a while, so yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. It would might have made sense for uh, Edmure to go on this yeah. journey, but we needed it to be a POV character. We would have missed all this fun. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's <laughs> Edmure. Now, Rob, last cat chapter did ask Cat to go back to Winterfell to be with the, her, his little brothers, and and she declined. If she had gone, was he going to just abandon the plan like that? I got nobody. Oh well. Yeah, if I were Cat, I'd be like, when he says, hey, I want you to travel a thousand miles south to talk to Renly Baratheon, I'd be like, you remember what you asked me yesterday? I'll go with that plan, if (laughs) you don't mind. Yeah, he. so she sent a letter north before she left River Run. She sent a a letter uh, north to her little boys, Bran and Bran and... um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't forget Rickon. We don't forget Rickon on this show. (laughs) Oh. and she lets them know, I haven't forgot you. It's just that Rob needs me more. And on some levels, that's true. Um, she, it is good for him to have an advisor who really does just have his best interests at heart. Although, of course, 
Uh, she did push for her girls in return for Jamie Lannister, which might not have been in the best interest of Rob and his new kingdom. But overall, she really, I mean, there's no one that's going to have his interest at heart better than his own mom. So, yeah, true. Uh, but as any parent of a teen knows, as long as mom and dad are, are there watching over them, the kids are going to be slow to progress to general independence and making their own decisions, whether those be good or bad. They got to they got to learn to fail on their own so they can learn how to turn those failures into successes. So, uh, you know, maybe it would be best for her to return to Winterfell and let him be King Rob Sans' mom. Yeah, maybe Bran and Rickon are learning to make decisions by themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what she's aiming for. <laughs> No, I was thinking about it. I was going to say that Ned and Robert didn't have any parental guidance when they started Robert's Rebellion, but they did have John Aaron, who was their foster right. father. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there was Very that. True. I just had a vision of uh, Bran and Rickon in Winterfell, like some sort of hedonistic sort of like uh, <laughs> opium den. <laughs> when, the, when the letter arrives from her mother, they realize that none of them have learned how to read and throw it away. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's a good image. I like it. Yeah. That fairly soon into this chapter, they get taken by Colin of Greenpools, and he takes them into custody and says, I'll, I'll take you to King, uh, King Renly. And she thinks... As escort or as captor? And when I read that, I thought, well, that's another issue with sending your mom. Because both, well, he thinks both sisters, but we know only Sansa is currently held by an enemy. But uh, he thinks they both are. If Renly decided, he could just take her captive. And, you know, if he sends yeah, a bannerman, it's not that big of a risk. Right. But, but then again, that's also the first part of making the peace deal is that you are making yourself vulnerable to that okay you know yeah yeah you're saying hey if you wanted to you could immediately cause a war with me by capturing my mother and taking her captive but i don't think you're gonna do that right yeah yeah it is a it's definitely a risk because he's already got at least one sister in captive by one enemy you know there's only right now uh, what Three other kings, so <laughs> just yeah. need Stannis to to take uh, Rickon captive. And <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Stannis. Yeah. <laughs> so Kat says us before she before she left River Run. She, she well, at this point in the chapter, she thinks back to her leaving River Run, and she says a tearful farewell to her father, and she sort of turns the table on what she what he used to say to her when she was a child. Yeah. He would tell her to wait for him. And she begs her father to wait for her this time. Right. She wants to see him again before he dies. Yeah. Yeah. He mistakes her, Kat, for her own mother, Minisa, um, and asks um, whether or not his girls, Kat and Lysa, are are okay. And she basically plays along with him and says, yes, the kids are fine, you know, so, so as to reassure him and not break him out of his, not make him realize he's... 30 years out of date with his news right yeah yeah he's he's definitely fading fast compared to when you know cat first got there and they had a semi-coherent conversation and uh now you know he seems to be 
basically out of it. Of course, I think when he when she first got there, he was staying off the milk of the poppy so that he could be focused. He was dealing right. with the pain so that he could be mentally sharp, sharper when she saw him. Apparently, you know, he must be pretty heavily dosed up with the milk of the poppy at the moment. Yeah. But speaking of Tully's, we learned that Rob and Kat have reached out to Liza again and again. And again, it seems. <laughs> I think uh, Rob says, what, have we sent four birds to the Eyrie? Uh, so <laughs> we also know that Tyrion sent Littlefinger to get Liza in the Knights of the Vale on their side. So we've got a tug of war here between Liza, uh, with Liza between the Starks and Tullys and the Lannisters. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think both sides are wasting their ravens. Uh-huh. Uh, because yeah. she... The one thing she wants is security and to be out of it, so she's not going to join in on either side, I don't think, but yeah, good luck to them. Yeah, when I read it, I thought, did Kat leave the veil with any notion that Liza could be swayed? And then I thought, I was thinking about like what might have changed, what might have happened that Kat would be like, well, okay, let's try it again. And I thought maybe, you know, news about her their father's vulnerable state being trapped between two Lannister's armies and the fact that he's, you know, dying might have moved Liza to action. But a hundred thousand armed Lannisters pillaging your native lands right. might also might stir the conscience a little bit. You might think. Yeah. The situation has certainly gotten more dire since Kat left uh the Eerie, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah. So Rob is showing a little diplomacy that Stannis doesn't appear to be careful of. He's <laughs> reaching out to everyone, trying to make friends, which... Which is good. I mean, I, I, and it makes perfect sense. It really does make perfect sense to make a deal with Renly. And sure. what if, if I were both sides of this, I would simply kick the can down the road for who's in charge when this is over. <laughs> right. Yes. Win the war first, then right. flip a coin or something. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't say, I'll do this if you will bend the knee. No, no, no. Say, yes, let's do this. And then say, when it's over, you say, look, I want my seven kingdoms back. I want you to bend the knee and see how that goes. Right. Maybe you can have a brand new war. (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, at least you're having a war with someone who's fairly decent and noble. Right. Versus the Lannisters. Yes. Yes. This, this war, if they would get, if, if three of the four Kings would get on that page, this war would be over because there's really no, reason that Stannis and Renly should be at odds at this moment. You know, I I get it. Actually, I would say I think it's easier for Renly and Rob to not be at odds at this moment. I think Stannis and Renly, I can sort of see how that's a a hard hatchet to bury. Well, yes, it should not have happened, I guess is what I'm (laughs) saying. Okay, that's that's true. You know, if you're Renly, you support your older brother... He's only got a daughter, so, uh, you know. And she's patch faces. 
Yes, that's right. <laughs> I, I heard a gossip about it. <laughs> so, uh, and he and Celise don't don't seem likely to be having any more kids. They, they don't they don't seem to enjoy each other's company a whole lot. But um, you know, he he clearly is not going to get this throne without while his brother is alive. There's no point where Stannis is going to say. All right, you win. I'll just be Lord of Storm's End. So when he took the crown, or when he claimed the Iron Throne, he was basically saying, uh, you know, I'll take this to the death if need be. So, you right. know, right. let your brother win the crown and then uh, stab him in the back, I guess, would be uh, one way to do it. It'd be a lot easier than the than the path he's on right now. But really, like I said, I mean, he's the heir at the moment. If he lets his brother take the crown, he's the heir. So yeah, yeah. but I get it. Yes, it's definitely um, a harder hatchet to bury. There's really no reason for Renly and Robert to be, or Renly and Rob to be at odds right now. Right. Yes, because they definitely have a common enemy. And apart from the fact that they both claim a piece of this land, or rather, Rob claims a piece of the land that Renly claims. Yeah, they don't really have any beef with one another. Yeah, um, and I really think most of it comes down to the Riverlands. I think if Rob was just trying to be king of the North, there might be a lot more room to negotiate. Yeah, and 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 actually, you could you could even make that. I mean, I could make that palatable to everyone. I think if Rob is, remains king of the North and just goes back to the North, and that's his domain, the Riverlands comes back into the Seven Kingdoms under King Renly. Right. I think they'd be okay with that. Especially if they especially if King Renly helps rid them of the Lannisters who are pillaging their lands. They'd yes. be delighted to claim him as king just as much as Rob. Why not? Sure. Yeah, that's exactly why they're backing Rob right now. Right. So as well as Renly, Rob's also reaching out to Lysa Aaron, as we mentioned, uh, and also to Balin Greyjoy, who we, we did mention that earlier, but that was more about Theon we were talking. So right. he is, you know, trying to find uh, allies wherever he can and again with all of these they he can make common they can all make common cause with Renly here there's no reason because they all have the common enemy of the of the Lannisters right yeah but the one thing and you posed this question so I'll give you credit for this is why not Dawn I mean he we haven't heard of any reach out to Dawn here and Dawn is one that uh, could definitely sway things it can certainly make life difficult for Renly it can certainly make life very difficult for the Lannisters. And we know that in the short term, they are anti-Lannister. So they'd be a good one to recruit. They'd be ready to do it. Yes. So um, it's interesting that we haven't heard of any overture to Dawn. From yeah. Rob. And, you know, his argument could be that both groups, both kingdoms could break free as independent kingdoms. And we know that Dorne has a history of seeking independence from the Iron Throne. They've done right. it multiple times so it might be a good argument to make now rob yeah. doesn't have any interest in being the uh king of the seven kingdoms he just wants to be king of the north and the riverlands so if the martells think it's a better bet to back the current king and get the spot on the small council then i guess they would turn him down but it certainly wouldn't hurt to make the offer yeah, but you are now building a very fragile alliance because you, if you build an alliance between Rob, Renly, Stannis, and Prince Doran Martell, then all four of those people have got 
requ- requirements from this battle, from this war, right. which are at odds with one another. They cannot <laughs> all be satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> when, when Rob tells Renly, and oh, we've got Dawn on our side, what did you promise them? Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. We'll talk about it after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Renly thinks Dorne's going to to soon come and support him. I don't know where he gets that from, because according to Tyrion, he's not even reached out to the Martells. Right. But so. that intel could be wrong. I mean, I mean, he's a lot closer to the Martells than Tyrion is. Right. So it wouldn't be hard for them to have some communication that Tyrion isn't aware of. Yeah. Rob does realize, he mentions to Kat, that he does not have enough leverage to get the Lannisters to take that peace offer that uh, we read in the last Tyrion chapter seriously. And he's right. Tyrion has no intentions of taking that seriously. So he's he's actually right in trying to further improve his position and hurt the Lannisters' position at the same time. thing is, though, I, I don't... I, I think... Just by saying that, you make me realize that it's wrong. Rob does have the leverage to get the Lannisters to take the peace deal seriously. He has two pieces of leverage. One is Jamie. Right. Jamie is a huge leverage against the Lannisters. But the second one is the fact that while the Lannisters are fighting against the North, they're going to lose the entire kingdom to Renly. If Renly moves his butt and gets to King's Landing. If Renly will right. keep moving, yeah. Um, and so that's big leverage. If 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 I were the, there, there's a very, I know we talked about it at length in the last Tyrion chapter, how Tyrion thinks if I can just keep stringing Rob along, I'll have time to deal with the, uh, with Renly. But in actual fact, it would be easier if you got rid of Rob. If you said to Rob, okay, you can have everything you want. Just give us Jamie back and you can have the girls back. And you can, I mean, obviously that's a slightly tricky situation. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll accede to all your demands but now that's it. No more fighting between us, you know. But right. give us Jamie back. Yeah. Then sure. That's that. That would would make sense if they're thinking clearly. That that makes sense. Of course, you know they're human, so emotions get involved and stuff. But true, true, true. Uh, so Rob seems to want to march, but but according to what Kat says of their last conversation. Um, she says it's dangerous to march on Harrenhal. That's what Tywin wants, and he says I never mentioned Harrenhal. So Rob's going somewhere, but we're not sure where. Yeah, he's planning to. Theon told Balon that that Rob is marching on Castle Rock in Lannisport. Right, and right. It would make sense if he's not marching on Harrenhal it's... that that's what he's doing. Right, <laughs> like... there's there's two Lannister armies to choose from. <laughs> right. That's where they are. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he's going to go hide in the Vale also. Right. <laughs> yeah, if he's successful, if he could successfully take out that Lannisport army, then he removes the predicament of being stuck between two Lannister forces. Uh, he brings Tywin out of safe confinement, and if if Tywin has to come after him and has to go west toward uh, Lannisport, it also removes the easy access to defend King's Landing, which would make give. Renly an even easier time. I wonder about that. I wonder how important Casterly Rock and Lannisport are to Tywin in the short term. I mean, he presumably has some family there right. who would be vulnerable, but 
are they strategically they don't seem like they're very important in the short term that you could just yeah, say oh well right, we've lost them for now let me let me head south and deal with renly and then once i've won that i'll come back and get my hometowns back yeah sure strategically so, i agree they're not as important it's just the fact yeah. that your enemy is now tramp tramping around in your, in your homelands yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the cherry on the top with that plan is that he mentions to cat that his men are uh bored and thinking of what she calls or what he calls rather hearth and harvest and this doing this gives them an action gives them something to focus on something to engage in and removes that hearth and home thought that uh that they have for a little while so it's yeah. a another little bonus so um i don't know about you but my first impression of renly as king is somewhat disappointing uh, <laughs> Hosting a tourney at a time like this seems incredibly ill-advised. Yes, it does. <laughs> On seems multiple like, levels. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, you're injuring people you're going to need to be fighting for you very soon. Right. And it just feels like it's the worst case of like falling for the trappings of the office when you need to do things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Kat, uh, when Cat realizes what's happening, she's, she thinks to herself real enemies on every side, and half the realm in flames, and Renly sits here playing war like a boy with his first wooden sword, which is exactly, that's a really great uh, analogy there, because he's like, oh, I'm king, I want to throw a tournament, I want to sit as a king at a tournament, like I watched my brother do all those years. So, yeah. But he heard Ned Stark try to refuse the hat that the hands tournament right that's how you lead you that's how you rule you turn these stupid wasteful things down yeah and you get to business and the thing is while he was in king's landing he came across as being a little frivolous but not 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 unable to see the big picture i mean yeah he's shown some strategic thought and now he's just squandering it yeah i think he's just caught up He's caught up in everything yeah. that goes along with a hundred thousand people pledging fealty to you. But yeah. <laughs> when they discover that's a, that a melee is going on, uh, Sir Wendell's all for it. He's he's very excited <laughs> that there is a, that this tournament's going on, and Cat, of course, can't believe it. And it made me think about the two opposing sides of Renly's leadership going on here. Uh, on one hand, he's messing around with these tourneys that are no doubt not only slowing his process, his progress towards King's Landing, but also injuring probably some of his best fighters that he has. Right. But it's also the very thing that these young, anxious to prove themselves, lords and knights, are lining up to pledge their fealty to. This is this is the hot ticket in town. This is where all the cool action is, where the where the young, hip Knights and lords are gathering to uh, to wear, earn their glory. But imagine how cool that party could be if it was in King's Landing. <laughs> It'd be way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right party, just, just... wrong destination. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it is hard to read, Renly. I mean, like every conversation he comes across, I mean, even in this chapter, when he talks to... So we mentioned several times in the summary, when when Kat or any of her entourage talk to any of Renly's retainers, they have a diplomatic clashing of heads over right. titles. 
But Renly completely dispels with all that. He's like, you know, right. it, does, it doesn't matter. He he is much more thoughtful right. and solicitous about these kinds of things, and he and he cuts through right. it all. And as we've said many times, he strategically saw the need to get out of King's Landing the day his brother died, yeah. which nobody else seemed to see. You're right. Yeah, I mean, he's basically the anti-Stannis. He's charismatic yes. and handsome and easygoing and mentions that he talks to both highborn and small folk alike with ease. And um, But the problem is he's also anti the anti-Stannis in battle experience and true leadership through hard times. So, right. Uh, he I, he was eating juicy rat while Stannis was on the shoe leather. Right. <laughs> he hasn't known hard times. Yeah. Like yeah. Crescent said back in the prologue, Renly is, is good at playing king. And Yeah. But yeah. would he be good at being king is a different story. Yeah. The other thing that's, that's interesting here is um, something that, and partly this is from watching the TV show. You don't really think of this, but but Renly looks just like King Robert. Yeah, not so much in the TV show. <laughs> not so much in the TV show. And and actually, that was true because in the TV show, by the time we saw Robert, he'd grown fat. And whereas Renly looked like what he was supposed to have looked like in right. his pomp. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but Cat, of course, remembers Robert in his pomp and sees Renly in his crown and is just like. It's Robert come again. I mean, yeah, a ghost in a golden crown, she says. Yeah, and that yeah. certainly can't hurt. You know, his popularity as the as an Iron Throne claimant, especially here in the South, where Robert's from. Well, not necessarily true because Robert was a disaster. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> but he did win the crown. So right, you know, he did win the crown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he he definitely seems to have sort of like match Robert's gregarious nature and looks uh, but does he have the ability to curb it I mean this this throwing a tournament halfway along the road for no reason seems to me to be a very Robert Rathian thing post crown winning yes post crown winning exactly Robert was was like Stannis before he won the crown right he was he was laser focused <laughs> yep yeah but you know, and then we throw the third brother in the mix here, and Stannis is just lame, boring, uncomfortable to talk to. He's unbending. He's basically no fun. These young knights and these young lords don't want to back that kind of king. They want to back the fun, chivalry-driven honor. Let's go make our glory. These are untested. These are knights of summer. They want to go out and make a name for themselves and get themselves into a song. They're not going to back Stannis. What's your opinion on this then? Just that knowing that much about the two brothers, which one do you think makes a better king? Oh, they both have such flaws at uh, such extreme flaws. <laughs> I think when the realm is calm, Renly might make the better king. Mm. Because when the realm is calm and everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, as long as Renly doesn't drink himself into a stupor and spend the crown into debt, I think he ha- he has a way of getting people to, to rally to him. I think that would be helpful. Stannis, I think Stannis would make an okay king when the realm is calm because he wouldn't have to be unbending and unyielding as much. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one thing is, of course, I mean, Stannis 
is thoughtful. And as a thoughtful person, he might appoint very good deputies and ministers to do the things, to do the governing of the realm. Better, perhaps, than Renly. Okay. Although Renly might be a little bit lazy, and so he also might appoint very good ministers and deputies to do the... So maybe that doesn't matter too much. And then maybe it really does come down to the personality of the person in charge. And I can certainly imagine Stannis being the kind of person to keep looking for wars, even when this war was won. He'll fight it until the day he dies. He'll... (laughs) He'll spend the next, you know, let's see Stannis wins the throne here. He'll spend his entire uh, monarchy rooting out people who fought against him. Oh, because that's the kind of person he is. He's not just going to forgive. It'd basically be like the sort of like Stalin. Okay, yeah. An enemy once is an enemy for life. For (laughs) Exactly. Maybe. So we get a whole lot of description of the melee. It goes on for a few pages, actually, and at the end, it's Sir Loras Tyrell versus who we learn, we don't know at the time, learns to be uh, Brienne of Tarth, or as Roy Detrice would say, Brienne of Tarth. And uh, she's quite the badass. Uh, we, we learned that there was okay. 116. Yeah. I- interjection on the audiobook. That is why we're calling him Peter Baelish. Okay. <laughs> Not Pitar. Pitar. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, uh, Brienne is quite the uh, badass. It was mentioned that there was 116 contestants at the start of this melee, and she was the last person standing, so she's got to be. But the crowd was against her the whole time, which, you know. In the Reach, Loras is like a god, so I guess you could kind of see that coming, regardless of who it was. Yes, I mean, they probably weren't booing her when there were 116, but when it was her against Loras Torrell, they they wanted Loras Torrell to win. Right. Uh, but they call her beauty, which is mocking because she is not, apparently. She's very, very tall and powerful and uh, has what would traditionally be considered an unattractive face. Yeah, according to Kat's description, as Kat says, um, she she says that, uh, you know, there's, well, she doesn't say it out loud, thankfully, but she thinks in her head, is there anything more unfortunate than an ugly woman? And, you know, of course, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, so. Yes. Uh, but Kat also implies that she thinks Brienne is in love with Renly. She says the look that she gave him, being she being Brienne and he being Renly, was painful to see. And it just gave the you know the impression that she thinks that that was a, a look of, of longing and loving there. Well, she has just asked if I can attend you in your bedchamber for the rest of your life. So, <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> hopefully, she likes him a little bit at least. You know. Good point. Good point. Uh, we, 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 one of the uh, lords that is attending uh, Renly Baratheon is Re- Randall Tarley, Sam Tarley's father, and yeah. uh, turns out Sam was right. He is a miserable. <laughs> so and so <laughs> yeah he's he's uh he's not a pleasant not not a pleasant guy in this chapter anyway so uh, one thing you know you've got cat and brienne in this chapter and they're both two strong powerful capable women but they're about as complete opposites as you could possibly get here now you know we're two guys talking about uh, attributes of women so i hope it doesn't come across sexist in any way we're just mentioning uh, you know d- discussing it as we see it here and as it's described to us right right 
they they don't exist to get offended. Right. And ho- yes, yes. hopefully we, we we are just talking about fictional characters. So yes. uh, if we do stray into uh, stereotypes, it's because that's how they were portrayed to us. Right. Yeah, so we've got Kat. Now, we've known Kat for a while now. She was in the second chapter of A Game of Thrones. And she she mostly embraces the, the role as a, a female in this feudal society and confidant to her son Rob and, and Ned. We've, we've seen her steer how, she, how to get the things she wants through suggestions and pointing out facts, such as when she got ned to agree to go she wanted it to be his idea basically so she just kind of kept steering him until he realized oh i do have to go south with king robert which he didn't want to do and she did want him to do but we've also we've also seen her use her status as a woman to benefit when necessary such as um you know here she tells renly she doesn't know about rob's war plans because she doesn't want to divulge that information and she says because she doesn't sit on his war council which she does know exactly uh, has a pretty good idea anyway of what Rob is considering it, but of course, because she's a woman, Renly easily believes that she isn't privy to this information. Yeah, but but all of this, I mean, you're absolutely right. She she does do this. She 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 plays on her femininity to her advantage, which is which is a good thing. But it does cap her power at at a ceiling, you know, because like for instance, she would trade Jamie for her daughters. But she's never going to have the influence to do that. You know, it's it's kept from her because she doesn't right. truly have the power, you know. Yeah. And so so that's both the both the pro and con of what she's doing by 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 playing the role that's chosen for her. She gets much of what she wants and is able to influence things that she might otherwise not be able to influence. But she can only go so far. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And Brienne, by contrast, of course, is physically strong, powerful, and very capable, but she is way outside the expectations of the society. Yeah. So uh, she's more like an Arya than a Sansa. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Both for sure. Both are strong in their own ways. Just oh, one yeah. is more of the traditional female role in the feudal society, and the other is not. Yeah. In actual fact, I mean, Brienne and Kat are kind of like older versions of Arya and Sansa in some oh, ways. Oh yeah. Good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, if Brienne was a man, she'd be as famous as Loras Tyrell. But because she's not, she's being mocked and disliked, uh, even though she was the best fighter out of 116 contestants here. Yeah. She obviously completely buys into what everything Rendley is selling, chivalry and honor aspects. And of course, given that he's just elevated her, a woman, to the King's Guard that makes her feel included in a way that most of the rest of society would not make her feel included. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> hence the devotion. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. He's he's much more woke than uh, a lot of the yeah, exactly. other exactly. leaders in this uh, in Westeros here. Plus she just won against 115 others. I want that one as the king's guard. Right. Yeah. I don't care what it is. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, although she cannot see. So Kat mentions that winter is coming. She actually feels pity. There's a lot of whole bragging going on, a lot of boasting and talk of glory. And Kat pities these guys because uh, she says they're knights of summer and winter is coming. And Brienne says, nope, winter's not coming for us because, oh, you know, even if we die, we'll be 
you know, ensconced in story where it will, will all be glorified. And she just, she can't see that winter can come in other ways than just dying. You know, she's a fighter. She's a warrior. It's, it's die or survive. And uh, Kat, of course, bracing her starkness brings up winter is coming. So. Mm-hmm. I, I also think that Brienne, at least at this point, and maybe, maybe her character will develop. She is, the quintessential young knight. I mean, she just wants glory. She right. does not think about any of the things that Kat thinks about here. She just thinks about the glory of battle and fighting for the honor of your king. And, you know, right. That's absolutely. She, yeah. Were she, were she not female, it would be barely worth mentioning her as a character here. Cause she is so one dimensional in that respect, you know, yeah, she so far. Just, yeah. 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 And you know, Kat thinks that the whole group, She's at this feast and she thinks the whole group is drunk on, as she says, song and story and that they think they're invincible. And it reminded me of kids playing Call of Duty and thinking that, you know, that there's, you know, they want to become soldiers so that they can fight in war and, and, you know, win all this glory when in reality, that's not what war is. They think that that, that. You know, playing playing in these tourneys and the, these melees and jousting is, is what war is, and really that's that's yeah. not. It's much much more terrible. So while we're being woke, is there a is there a gay vibe here around Renly? I mean, the the king's he's got his king's guard wearing rainbow cloaks. Now, obviously, the rainbow flag doesn't mean anything in Westeros, but it does to us, right? Uh, and Cat notices considerable greater animation when Renly is talking to Loras than when he's talking to Loras' sister, Marjorie, Renly's new wife. And right. so um, now that might just be because Marjorie's quiet and introverted and not very interesting. And yeah. he and Loras have got a, you know, they've been friends for a while. Maybe that's all it is. But I, reading it again, I'm sensing it a little bit. But Yeah, we might be. I, I think what when I read it, when I read the books through the first time, because I had watched the show first, I was, I was looking at it from that view. Because in the show, they clearly make them uh, in a, a gay relationship, uh, Renly and yeah. Loras. That is, so yeah. I looked at it from that spectrum as well. But you know, in this so far, we haven't seen a whole lot of interaction between them. You know, Renly wouldn't be the first twenty-something to have his girlfriend or significant other at a party, but spend more time with his buddy. You know, right. <laughs> like you said, Marjorie could maybe be shy and quiet, and he and Renly go way back. They they left right. King's Landing together back in the Game of Thrones. But so, um, so you, you're not convinced. You think it's ambiguous here, whether or not? Uh, yes, is... I think at the moment, okay. anyway. So it it seems fairly ambiguous. Okay. Now, well, let's let's go with that then. Speaking, of, like you said, that you know the rainbow flag means nothing in Westeros, but um, the rainbow is often present when Seps and stuff are involved. Uh, we we a lot of times heard about, you know, the rainbow light from the crystals at the Sept. Right. There's also the rainbow pool at the Great Sept of Baylor in King's Landing. So mm. uh, well, well, So is is the rainbow cloak then a an attempt to curry favor with the church maybe. to bolster his claim? Could perhaps. be. Yeah. Because obviously the church could be a good ally here if you can convince the church that Joffrey is the child of incest. Yes. They would frown on him being the new king. That's a very solid point. That very well may be the case. Or he just likes the, you know, the the standard King's Guard wears all white and he's like, we're gonna be more fun. We're gonna wear right. seven different colors. 
Crescent so, called it. He, yeah. he knew. Yes, that's yeah. right. Now, real quick about Marjorie. If you remember uh, back in the Game of Thrones, Renly had designs on her for Robert as a replacement for Cersei. And he showed Ned that picture in the locket because he had heard that Marjorie looked a lot like his, um, Ned's sister, Lyanna. So, well, Robert's gone, so he married her himself. Right. Uh, it Barris and Selmy's gone missing. <laughs> yes, he did. We thought he might show up here, didn't we? Because that was one of the places he would go to. But no, he's not here, and Renly doesn't know where he is. Yeah, he Renly oddly asks if he's in River Run. And Which makes sense. If he didn't come here, where else has he gone? Well, that's the thing is he says to, uh, because Kat says, nope, I haven't seen him in River Run. And he says, you know, that he had heard Barristan saying he was going to back the true king. And wouldn't you think that if, like, it would be Stannis in line before Rob Stark as the true king? <laughs> well, okay. If, if Stannis and Kat were in the room with him, he would ask Stannis first. Okay, yes. But Stannis isn't there. So he's <laughs> checking. <laughs> and it seems like a long shot, but he's not with you, is he? <laughs> right. Yeah. He, well, he said uh, when he didn't show up here, he'd been holding the cloak that he gave Brienne. He had been holding for uh, Ren, for, for uh, Barristan uh, Selmy. Selmy. I guess yeah. he finally gave up. He said when he didn't come here, I thought maybe he had gone to River Run. And I thought, wouldn't your first thought be, oh, he might have gone to my brother, who is the actual true heir to the Iron Throne. And, you know, all three of them, Renly, Barristan Selmy, and Stannis, all served on Robert's small council together. So, you know. Yeah, they got so to they know knew each, each other. other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, th- maybe that's it. Maybe that's the key. He knew that Barristan Selmy thought Stannis would be a terrible king. <laughs> that could be. From their time together. <laughs> like, so, I'd rather go back to 15-year-old kid from the north than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> who's got no claim on the throne. <laughs> but I'm going to call him the true king and make it so. Yeah. So uh, Renly takes Catelyn to the top of the tower and the cook fires stretch for miles and miles. This host is amazingly large and spells serious trouble for King's Landing. Yes. I mean, if nothing else at King's Landing, this kind of force could easily starve them out. And Oh, yeah. They're already starving. It wouldn't take an awful lot. Put a blockade up around the city, and we know how ripe the uh, the people inside the city are for a change here. Yes, yeah. that could be disastrous for King's Landing. But, you know, speaking of how large his host is around this castle here, there was no mention of House Hightower. And they're mm. they're one of the most prominent houses in the Reach. Now, they, there are a few of their bannermen are mentioned, but you'd think if Hightower, who does owe their fealty to Highgarden, who is here in plenty, the... <laughs> sharing sharing Renly's bed. <laughs> Maybe. Somebody um, is. <laughs> but you would think, you know, if they, if they were providing their full backing of Renly, they would have sent their own men, not just... Have some of their bannermen. Yeah, that that's interesting because because it does seem like the host is so big, you just assume everybody's there. But there are some chinks in the armor. The high tower's missing. The red wines are not there because yes. the red wines two heirs are captives at King's Landing. Yes, Horace and Hobber, horror and slobber. <laughs> yeah, so Sansa would say. Um, and I was thinking maybe that's what because. He's he's telling Cat about how you know this isn't even my full army. I've got ten thousand back in 
uh, Highgarden and Dorn will be joining me soon. And don't forget my brother Stannis has, you know, the fleet at uh, Dragonstone. And I thought, why? Who are you trying to fool? We are, it's very obvious that your brother is not part of your force here. And I thought maybe that's why he mentioned Stannis, just to give off the idea that he had a navy as well as a land force, trying to impress her even more. Yeah. It didn't work. No, definitely not. So uh, Renly basically offers Rob the titles, lands, honors, including the title King of the North, um, because it's all superficial. Because what he wants is... Rob to bend the knee, and therefore Renly would be the king of the of Westeros of, of the Seven Kingdoms, yeah. just as Joffrey has been and Robert before him. So, yeah, uh, it could happen. I mean, maybe that's enough for Rob. Maybe to be the king of the North, but only in, title. in name. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, again, Rob's only at war because the Lannisters murdered his father here. Yes, he's got to. You know, he's got to really decide. That was the original reason yeah. for starting this war. Is is that okay to end the war? Decimating and... the Lannisters is enough, yeah. Yes. It should be. Right. Yeah. Going into a second war with your allies doesn't seem like a great idea. Yeah. So the chapter ends with the news that Stannis has uh, besieged Storm's End. Um, so Stannis has left Dragonstone, it would appear. Yes, right. Um, <laughs> But it, but it's an odd choice because you know you you assumed that when he came, when his navy did leave Dragonstone, they'd be heading for King's Landing, but instead he's headed to Storm's End, which is not a million miles away, but it's not the right direction. No. But I guess it also strategically it might be a good move because if you attack King's Landing purely from the sea, you might be vulnerable to, for instance. 7,000 pots of <laughs> wildfire. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but if you land at Storm's End and build an army, then you can attack by land and sea, and then you become a lot more of a dangerous force. Yeah, But point. It, does, it does bring to a head the conflict between Renly and Stannis. Th- that didn't have to come to a head. If Renly attacked by land and Stannis by sea, they could have the fight with the Lannisters first and then decide to have their secondary fight. Exactly. But landing at Storm's End and besieging Storm's End brings that one to the forefront now. You've switched the order of these conflicts. Yeah, you and wonder if it's... A to bes- the benefit of only one person. And exactly. Does nobody... <laughs> there's like a perfectly ripe apple sitting directly in front of all of them in the in the shape of King's Landing and nobody wants to reach out and just grab it. Okay, so to background, what do you got for us? Background. So um, so this chapter takes place in an area known as Bitter Bridge, where the Rose Road crosses the Mander River. Now, both Bridge and the castle are called Bitter Bridge, but they were once called Stone Bridge. The name change occurred because of a battle between the Faith Militant and King Magor the Misunderstood Targaryen during the Faith Militant Uprising. The battle at Stonebridge was one of the first major battles between the Faith Militant and the Targaryen King. The Faith Militant host was led by a man named Watt the Hewer. He and his force of 9,000 tried to cross the Mander over the Stonebridge. However, they were caught between six different royalist hosts. The Faith Militant host was primarily untrained and undisciplined small folk known as poor fellows, wearing not much but boiled leather, rough spun, and scraps of rusted steel in their 
and their weapons left much to be desired, consisting mostly of just woodsmen, axes, sharpened sticks, and farm implements, so the chances were not good against the knights of the Targaryen armies. And with the poor fellow forces divided by the river, they were annihilated. It's said that the carnage caused the mander to run red with blood for 20 leagues, and from then on, the bridge and castle overlooking it became known as Bitterbridge. Uh. Now, uh-huh. now, Watt managed to kill half a dozen lords, including Lord Meadows, who was the commander of the king's army. But he was eventually taken alive and delivered to King's Landing in chains, and as you might have guessed, Magor did not treat poor Watt with much kindness. He had Watt's limbs cut off with his own axe, but it didn't end there. Magor had his maesters keep Watt alive to watch Magor commit yet another marriage that violates the beliefs of the Faith of the Seven, his marriage to his third wife, Tayana of the Tower. I, I do feel that um, we should perhaps occasionally not call Magor the misunderstood in case people have lost the fact <laughs> that I... <laughs> he is Magor the Cruel, sort of, yeah. by, by, by canon. Only on our podcast is he known as Magor the Misunderstood. Yeah. Um, so also, um, House Tarth. Brienne is from House Tarth. It's a noble house of the Stormlands. They rule the island of Tarth from their seat, Evenfall Hall. The island sits in the northeast part of Shipbreaker Bay, controlling the Straits of Tarth between the island and mainland Westeros to the north. The Lords of Tarth call themselves the Evenstar. Their sigil, which gets a quick description by Catelyn, is a quartered yellow suns on rose and white crescent moons on blue. Their words are not known. Uh, comparison with the television show, uh, this is all pretty well captured, actually. Uh, Cat's party is smaller. We do see Brienne of Tarth winning her battle. And she doesn't damage Loris's pretty face, so that's for the that's for the good. Um, uh, she does want to be a member of Renly's Kingsguard, and pretty much it's all pretty carefully captured, even down to Renly showing off his army to Cat, so she knows. Okay. So this is all uh, yeah. very much in line. Well, it was a good chapter, so I'm glad they kept it in the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pedantry. Well, I just had one little thing that, that struck me as odd. So when Renly is telling Cat, you can have my pavilion, I'm going to, you know, I'm taking Lord Caswell's castle while I'm here, so I don't need it. And he says, you know, this is a farewell feast. I'm sure Lord Caswell is happy to see my hungry host leave. And Caswell says, not true, my lord, my grace. What's yours is mine. And Renly says, you know, well, you're lucky I'm not my brother Robert, because he took those kind of things literally when he visited. And he said, do you have daughters? Lord Caswell said, I have two daughters. Then Renly says, well, then you're definitely lucky I'm not my brother. But, you know, and that implies that he would have probably deflowered one yes, of his daughters. Yes, I, I get the implication. Yes, okay, okay, just making sure. Um, but Cat describes Lord Caswell as a wispy young man. So... How old could his daughters possibly be? I'm picturing them as children. So I think that, that that would make sense what you're saying. Of course, Renly didn't ask how old they were. So <laughs> Renly's actually just spreading vile rumors about right. his older brother instead yes, of build up his terrible <laughs> rumor to spread there. <laughs> yeah, I take your point. News and notes. Do you have a review for us? We do a review. I, I knew this was going to be a long chapter, so I picked a fairly short review. But still, it's. Very positive review, and we very much appreciate it. It's from Shrubachop. Is that how you pronounce that? Shrubachop? 
on Apple Podcasts, and it's titled Best Song of Ice and Fire Podcast Out There. So just right there alone is uh, is right. all that needs to be said. <laughs> and exactly the the review says, title says it all. These guys are funny and go in-depth without spoiling. Perfect to follow along for a reread or go back and listen to your favorite chapters just for fun. Oh, that's so nice. Well, Thank thanks. Yes. All right. Time is up. Let's draw some conclusions. So, um, as we've said, having a tournament is just a rotten idea. It's a waste of time, a waste of good men power, manpower. Get yeah. on the road, Renly. Yes. <laughs> and and I would also like to point out that for the second tournament in a row, Sir Loris Tyrell's finished second. Right. Second to the Hound. Well, technically, he deferred to... he, he uh, Because the Hound saved him from Sir Gregor, he... He gave him the hands tourney title. So he was second. Well, okay, that's true. Actually, did he did he win the tournament? No, did he, he didn't. Un- he gave it to the hound for saving him. But 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 hang on. Did he he not? Uh, yes, Gregor he beat the game. Gregor. Yes. But the fight wasn't over. So when is the fight over in a tournament? When he when you unseat the guy, or when they have it out? I think it's when you unseat the guy. Oh, so, okay. So maybe I've been unfair. Maybe Sir Loris is not a perennial second place loser. (laughs) Well, he, you know, he didn't beat the Hound. So, you know, he finished second. True, but he wasn't fighting the Hound. (laughs) (laughs) Now, he did win the tourney on Joff's other name day, where the Valyrian Steel Dagger was said to have changed hands between Tyrion and Littlefinger uh, Peter Baelish. But, of course, that dagger didn't. Uh, seems to not have actually changed hands. Anyway. Okay. Um, yes, I get what you're saying. I, I thought the same thing. You finished poor uh, Renly, runner-up. I mean, poor uh, Loris, runner-up again. It's a, yeah. it's a trend here. But uh, we see Renly wraps himself in extreme opulence. I mean, we get a description of the pavilion alone that he's staying in from Cat, and it's just over the top. And, you know, every trapping of a king. But, so, you know, he looks the part. But can he actually lead like a king needs to lead? Well, that we yeah. don't know. So Bitterbridge is about halfway between Highgarden and King's Landing. And uh, now news of trouble has arrived from Storm's End. So further delay of the siege of King's Landing seems inevitable. It does. Yes, that's one of the downsides of, of Stannis' Dawdling. plan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it appears that no effects of the war have yet reached the reached the reach, if you will. Right, because this. But I mean, feeds... the reach, fe- the the reach feeds itself, so it's yes. not importing food from the Riverlands, and so right. Yeah, this feat was feast was even more indulgent than the one we just had in Winterfell, last yeah. chapter. Although... I always think more indulgent than Winterfell is a... <laughs> damning, damning with faint praise, <laughs> as Lady Oakhart would say in this chapter. Uh, it's drier than the sea, saying that something's yeah. drier than the sea. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So Redley's drawing people to him by, you know, playing on their chivalry and goodness, triumphing over the evil Lannisters. Unfortunately, as Cat is acutely aware, that's not how war actually pans out. No, it's not. But where is Selmy? Ah, uh, yes. Know. Where's mis- Barristan Selmy? Mystery. The mystery we didn't even know was a mystery has deepened. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So as always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Ghost Harrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Discord. 
And if you wouldn't mind going out and leaving us a five-star rate and, preferably, a fantastic review, we certainly would very much appreciate that, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We're trying to really grow our platform or our show there, and uh, we'd very much appreciate if you'd help us out by at least just swiping across to five stars. And, hey, if you leave us a review on any platform, certainly might hear it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.